What's our next move? You tell me. Gotta get off this rock, Chuck. Get back to the mainland. Whatever the hell's going on here, it's bad. Right, we're too smart for him. Yeah, we are, aren't we? You know, this place makes me wonder. Yeah, what's that, boss? Which would be worse? To live as a monster? Or to die as a good man? Teddy? podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was he was here a minute ago, but he seemed kind of in a hurry. He wanted to go check and see what time the ferry was running. I didn't, I didn't even know. There was one of those around where he lives, but you know, I'd, you know a guy for 20 years. At least you think you know him. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you back into our series on learning how to lose titled in the morning. You can hear us discuss the ideas of this series at length as part of our infinity war conversation from a couple of months ago, but this series is meant to help us meditate on loss as we navigate life inside a pandemic giving even deeper resonance to our regular mantra of assessing what scares us to find what saves us. But I am getting ahead of myself because here at the fear of God, we explore. We don't explain except for right now. When I explain that you can listen to the fear of God at your nearest podcast platform, you can watch the fear of God on YouTube and you can browse the fear of God on the web at the fear of God podcast dot com where you'll find episode archives and merch including cell phone cases t-shirts campaign buttons face masks be sure to wear them magnets pillows read hey buddy hey. hi there you are welcome back to the show my friend i do believe in fairies i i do i do i do believe in fairies i'm supposed to think clap my hands three times is that when 
Is that what I'm supposed no. to do? No, I think, I think I'm supposed to. I mean, I, I think that I is not at all the fairy I thought I you were saying. You had to check the times for. Oh, I I need to cancel. Yeah, okay. I need to cancel okay. something really quick. I'll be I'll be right okay. back. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so, well, you made it weird. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now that you're back. Now again. that I'm back. Yes. Again. Again. Yet, Welcome yet again. to the show, brother. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm back. Yeah. Uh, I'm no longer in Disneyland, unfortunately. Doggone it. Speaking of Disneyland, Disney Plus has something really special happening tomorrow. Oh, very excited for that. I've been... It is very uh, My exciting. wife and I, actually, about 20 minutes before we started recording, my wife and I were just discussing our plans to set aside some time and enjoy... Oh, we've got, that. A, we've got a whole whole thing ready. I know you went my, to see my the... My wife is making Aaron burgers. <laughs> <laughs> Not not Hamilton Burgers, not not Ham. Yeah, I mean, uh, no. Aaron Burgers is funnier. It is. Pardon me, gonna eat your Aaron Burger. <laughs> uh, uh, you went to see the actual depends. show with pickles. Oh sure, yeah. sir. Um, uh, I did. I did the actual show. Yes. So are you going to? Because I've heard there has been some light. I have never seen the show, but I've heard the soundtrack album being a a couple of times. Um. I know that there's, you know, some some uh, a bit of adult content in there, not extremely graphic or anything, or or, or really outrageous. But are you going to watch it with your daughters, or is it just going to be something that you and your wife are going to enjoy? Um, I was going to try to make a say no to this joke, but I couldn't. I couldn't conjure it <laughs> too quickly there. Um, oh no, no, it's it will be a family affair. Um, it's a family I, I figure just tear the bandaid off and just let the awkwardness roll over the room <laughs> no sure. um i don't know i've actually thought about uh well it is worth mentioning that my kids uh have listened to the soundtrack multiple times mm. and know mm. it probably more in depth than i realize mm. um gotcha. and despite my best efforts to sh- you know kind of ward them off from say no to this which is really the only most direct song i mean there's a lot yeah, of sure sure suggestive stuff here and there um we will n- probably not be using the subtitles though. So, you know, uh, fair, a little fair. too much. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've thought about just checking the say no to this sequence just so I know, you know, yeah. Um, how, what to say no or to or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, um, <laughs> to determine if we're going to like skip it or whatever, but yeah, I um, gotcha. I gotcha. I um, don't know, man. We're, they, we're, we're regardless. We're excited. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very exciting. The, um, I think, that's the one question, you know, and I don't know that my son would really be terribly engaged or interested in it. Maybe he would because the music is really involving and it's very compelling and, and it's it's just really easy to get swept up in it. So, um, so I don't know, but we were having that same sort of consideration. We do not have the luxury of having seen the show to have some context for it. I only know through the album itself. That's it. Yeah. That's all I know. But yes, very excited. That's for that. exciting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was, I did not expect us to do that. Um, <laughs> we are, we are jumping into a new phase of in the morning, but uh, before we do that, read Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Hamilton. Let's see. Business section. Ooh, la la. What do we got here? I was like, read. I was like, it's, I know, I know. It did, it just, it, I, what that? <laughs> yeah, that was the internet thing. That was totally an internet <laughs> thing. That was not, a just sort of gears, you know, <laughs> grinding to a halt thing. Sure, of course. Um, so, Reed, we've got a few items real quick. Kay. They are not brand new, but they are still just as important. Emails for stickers, you guys. We're going to uh, uh, just just keep bombarding you with this ask. 
Um, if you are listening to this and you have not submitted your email in order to get your sticker, please do that. We are we are trying to build the fog database. Uh, want you guys included on that for some future ideas that are percolating and and germinating and other uh, words that end with aiding, illuminating. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Um, so go to the website. Uh, put in your info where it says subscribe. Reply to the email it sends you. We will reach out for uh, a mailing address and send you a sticker. Sticker. Um, Reed, you got any? You got any business? Yeah. So we have been soliciting uh, for a little while. We have a, a, a little database building up of some audience-based what you watchings, what you readings, what you listening Riri. to. Some of those are it's fun. So much fun. It's so fun. It's great to hear how people come up with that. We're so stupid. We didn't do this like two years ago. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so, um, so we do have quite a few, and you probably be hearing some of those uh, uh, along the way over the course of the next several weeks or whatever. But uh, we do want more. So, by all means, uh, just. Uh, open up your voice memo recorder. Just uh, do some fun little thing with instruments, without instruments, uh, with people, without people, uh, with human beings, without human beings. Maybe maybe it's your dog. Maybe it's your lizard, you know, like scratching against the, you know, that would be. <laughs> that's, that's a little too far afield, Riri. I mean. <laughs> I mean, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what people do and what kind of talents their pets have. But. Um, it's true. Submit a uh, to fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Submit uh, an audio recording of you singing our What You're Watching, Reading, Listening to jingle, uh, and we will do our best to feature it somewhere on one of those segments in the coming weeks. So by all means, keep sending in those watching, reading, listening to's. So uh, as a very have- last one here, guys, yeah. you know, we will occasionally petition y'all for reviews and reviews are nice. Um, they're a bit ego stroking to be sure, but in this new kind of fear of God era, what is super just valuable um, is, is y'all sharing about us. This is how, you know, how people find out about us is through you guys. And if there is, you know, a, a, a pithy thing that, that one of us said in a, in an episode, or, you know, if you, if you are seeing the YouTube stuff that's hitting the channel there and want to share that, like whatever inspires you, whether it's, silly and frivolous or deep and profound. You know, we would love to, for you to share that out there so that we can continue growing this good thing we've got going here. So regardless, um, you are all awesome and we appreciate all the energy and attention you've already paid to us, uh, in the three years we've been doing this, but that said, yes. So stickers for emails, uh, send your audience, what you're watching and share and share alike. Mm-hmm. Would you like oh. to do a better job of exiting? I mean, I'll give it a shot. So, uh, Beetlejuice, we want you to take a break, take a break, take a break. It's showtime. I like that one. That's good. (laughs) I love that song so much. (laughs) That's a great song. Like, that song feeds my spirit a little bit. You know, one of my favorite things about that one, that's a a really great song. Um, And for those reasons. uh, I love, there was a sequence of Hamilton remixes where some artists Mm -hmm. took some of the material and just did, I don't know if you've heard that album or whatever. Um, The version that I think... Oh gosh, I'm free. I didn't prepare to talk about this, so I don't remember who the artist is on it. So I'm not even going to try to pretend I know. But uh, the remix version of "Wrote My Way Out" was uh, was just fantastic. I know that Lin Manuel Miranda was featured on that, but uh, I don't remember the two artists that he collaborated with off the top of my head. And, and at the risk of saying the wrong ones, I'll just skip over that. But that was a great one. Right, "Wrote My Way well, Out" it was great. The one, the most notable. Uh, that I'm aware of because it 
does bring me to tears pretty much every go around on off of that album is uh kelly clarkson's cover of it's quiet uptown mm, it's mm-hmm. it's yeah. just it's it's like church oh man it's wonderful um yeah. regardless this is quickly turning into the hamilton <laughs> podcast and it's not even out yet i know, you know so I that's know. exciting seen it. um okay what so, you got um so listen i just want to say a huge huge thank you Again, to new friend of the show, Matt Ruff, uh, for what a fun Dude, conversation. Uh, it was just great. He was so generous with his time and with uh, his thoughts on not only his, uh, you know, inspiration and crafting of his novel Lovecraft Country, which is a fantastic book, um, but also just, you know, some of the thoughts in general on the subjects that came up. And I was just really appreciative. We uh, send a huge thank you again to Matt Ruff. Uh, we will absolutely prioritize having you back on as soon as as possible uh schedule wise so uh so yeah if you haven't heard that episode go check that out uh and in that spirit uh i think we have a little contest that we want to divvy up uh are we doing so, that now so so yeah 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 if you okay if, if you give, give me just one moment i'll bring in a special guest and uh we will uh we'll go to a commercial break real quick okay yeah yeah that. yeah so stay tuned right after this message <laughs> Hello, <laughs> special fear of God guest. So I have my son here, and my son is going to. Hello. <laughs> he's going. We've got the names in this little uh, Ernest hat here of the people who shared on social media, shared the show or an episode or something on social and media, us, yeah, and tagged us. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So I'm going to pull a name out of that. I'm going to read the name. And then whoever it is, it's going to be a winner of something. Yeah. The, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so they're going to... winner of something. They're going to win... Yeah, what they're going to win is an autographed copy of Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. So... I just got to know, are those are those Star Wars PJs? Did oh, you borrow those from your dad? He, he asked if those are Star Wars PJs and if you borrowed them from me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I borrowed... I don't know if I borrowed... He did, I just you know. That. No, I'm yeah. not that short. <laughs> you, you can see. Regardless, those are some styling jammies, and I want a set. <laughs> all right. Okay. So, are you ready? We're gonna shuffle up. Thank shuffle you up. to all of you. While while little man is doing this, thank you to um, while little man is helping his son do this. Uh, thank you to all of you who. <laughs> <laughs> who participated in the uh, contest to win a signed copy of Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. Okay, Let's see so who is this is... the one? Okay. There it right. is. Okay. What you got there? Who is it? Oh, okay. All right. Just give it a Tony shot. Fegan. Is that right? Yes. Tony. Tony. Fagan. Is it Fagan? I, maybe. Yeah, I had been imagined so. I, I had a buddy in high school whose last name was Fagan, so I imagine. All right. So, all I right. know. Thank you so much, Tony, for your participation <laughs> in the uh, Lovecraft Country competition. We- Congratulations. We will be getting your address so that Matt Ruff can send you a signed copy of the book. That's very exciting. Absolutely. All right. So no, we're not we're not we're not gonna draw more names. There's lots of other names in there. Thank you sincerely to everybody who participated. Yes. That was Wait, super a lot of fun. One? There's only one. There's only one winner this time. Wish it's there like could be more. Highlander. We're gonna send him All right. To bed. And back to commercial break. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, son, can you shut the door? <laughs> well, someone in the booth, uh, <laughs> cut to commercial. <laughs> Please, quick, cut to the commercial. We're not ready for this. We're not ready for it. <laughs> oh. Whoa. All right. Wow. Okay, it's, shut the door for me. It's intensity in the lackey household. You know, this is what happens every single night when, when you know, we're we're approaching it. Uh, so yes, uh, that's exciting. That Tony is very Fagan, exciting. Thank you so much, brother. Congratulations. And while Tony. he's, while his, while his name is in the air, Tony has a coffee company that he, he does, does think that he may, he brews coffee mm-hmm. and I was not planning to look it up, but maybe I'll try to find the name of the company by the end. So people can go check out his coffee and maybe buy some from him. Oh, yay, yay for listeners and winners and books. So, um, speaking of business time. Speaking of that, yeah, I think we have a, a very special uh, regular contributor to the show and to the Fear of God podcast community uh, who has something really, really important that he wants to say. So, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna send it over to one Mister Steve Beckley. Hello, Nathan and Reed. This is Steve Beckley, the Fog Continuity Guru, and the guest on episode. 169 in which donnie darko was discussed good episode we didn't do a what you'll watch and read and listening to segment on that episode but i was ready for one so here now is my darko tears for fears inspired rendition that's been knocking around my head ever since i wanna know what you're watching and reading i never found out what you're listening to, what you watching, reading, listening to, what you watching, reading, listening to, 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 I want to know. That is legit. <laughs> so fantastic. I love it. I love it. Not only did Beckley show up and send a what you're watching rendition, he patterned it after Tears for Fears. Which has its own tie into the show itself. Like there's there's like layers on layers. That's like that's how Beckley, Beckley contains rolls, multitudes. That's he does. <laughs> does. Oh, he does. He does. Speaking of which, <laughs> he asked the question, and I have to affirm, I mentioned it on I believe the conversation with Matt Ruff. Now I have officially listened to the new Bob Dylan album, which opens with a song called I Contain Multitudes. So you either listened to that or that's just how good you are. Nope, yeah, yeah. That's no, thank you. So, um, yes, and I can affirm it's one of his, uh, one of his best albums. I, I, I love it. Uh, I think it's fantastic, and uh, yeah, it's it, it's really really great. You Very- read. I, I see. I'm gonna try to make a volleyball thing, like a teeing you up here. Like I'm just, oh, you know, I don't speak sports, but <laughs> you, I just keep handing you ideas. You should do a, a Dylan B-Sides oh my episode. Gosh. I don't know. It might be just you. No, I no, no. Couldn't no. Really... I've got, listen, fe- fellow podcaster and at least occasional, if not frequent, listener of the show, MJ Smith uh, of the uh, Real Perspective podcast. I think he's also a Bob Dylan fan. He and I have been messaging each other uh, about yeah. that. I think so I should uh, I think I, I mean, should roll in with that. You do like a... You do like a bit of a retrospective, your personal top fives. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. top five, maybe, maybe top five songs, top three albums. Yeah. And then you might, unpack uh, the new one. 
absolutely man. yeah just, oh no absolutely like, might bring my buddy I contain multitudes i might uh, bring my buddy mario mojo blue uh, the blues guitarist on we'll talk about yeah it would be a grand old time is that so a, just stay tuned is that like that. a person or is that a, D- a dylan reference no 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 it's not a dylan reference although okay. uh no no so my buddy mario uh he and i uh kind of built the foundation of our friendship on our you know at least partially on our mutual love for bob dylan so uh yeah there's lots of possibilities i'm glad yes. that a love of Dylan is not the ticket to friendship with you because we would have parted ways <laughs> decades ago. No, <laughs> I have no criteria, you know. Right, it's just, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it does oh, help. Oh, cool. Though. Yeah, that, see, so, you know. So, listeners, you heard it here first. If this doesn't happen, it's not because I didn't encourage Reed and give him full latitude. And, you're welcome. You know, kind of. Yes. Go do it. So, can um, I share one more thing before you share yeah, yours? Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. No, just. Because it's not long. I just want to. I just want to sing the praises of my wife. My wife knew I've been having a stressful week. I've been having a hard time, and that's actually not a jokey, facetious comment. It's been a stressful week. My wife knew I needed a little pick me up, and she had gone to the store for a few things, and she needed to swing by Target to pick some things up. She wore her mask. She stayed social distanced, but she also came back with this: the Shining and- board game. I and love this that you me. started this with, you know what, guys, it's been a rough week. So what made me happy is my wife got me a game inspired by a movie about a man and a husband and a father who just yeah. loses yeah. a out in the wild. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. look out. Yeah. Exactly. Riri, exactly. be careful. Okay. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> All work uh, and no play makes Lackey a dull boy. Yep. So, uh, Having only just recently uh, been given this, literally just like uh, yesterday, uh, we have not had the chance to play it yet, but plan to this weekend, and that's very fun. That's the end of my little... The, you know, you're going to open it, and the stuff. rules are just like, with however many players you have, just stare at each other saying, Rad Ram, for like an hour until one of you snaps. <laughs> <laughs> and the object is don't snap. <laughs> right. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 So, very excited to dive into the Shining board game as well. So, um. So I have a what you watch and read. Do you? I started. Now I'm not very far, but I did start. I'll I'll tell it to you this way. Was is das? Oh, did you? Oh, did I you? I started Dark season three. I did. <sighs> I, I, so I, I've been wanting to, and I've been torn. Well, I'll tell you the quick the 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 quick and dirty version here is. Um, I start. <laughs> you're gonna love this. This is like so me right now. I started episode one and okay. So if you're just now <laughs> jumping on the fear of God bandwagon, welcome. But two, we covered seasons one and two of dark season one. I think I speak for you read and I say both of us love might be a strong word, but have very high praise for season one. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And season two is not bad. It just no. definitely was a sort of uh, uh, step down in terms of overall appreciation and affection. So mm-hmm. some strong moments, we really, but yeah, yeah, we really wrestled with, okay, do we do we end up covering three on the show at some point or just kind of let it be? So that's that's how I start Dark Season 3 the other night. I was like, okay, let me just... Mm-hmm. Season 2 ends with, you know, uh, Alt, Marta, using her golden snitch to take Jonas to some <laughs> other place. Um, and... So when it started, <laughs> I got like 15 minutes into it. And this is the exact same thing when I talk about anthology books sometimes. Yeah. It's like, 
here we go. You know, it's like, it's like you're buckling up for work. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like sure. that is what it started to feel like. And it's like, man, I don't know, because there's a lot of heavy lifting that has to happen in that first episode, mm-hmm. as you'd mm-hmm. imagine. Like, oh, sure. You, sure. you know, and I got about 20 minutes into it and I turned it off <laughs> No. <laughs> with the possible note that I was like, I, maybe I just don't watch it. Not because, mm, yeah, just because yeah, life's right, too right. short. You know, it's like, it's like you're just bebopping around the time stream, Jonas. <laughs> and, and I just, I, I can't handle it. My brain, whatever. So 20 minutes into the first episode, get a little bored because I just, I'm not sure how much I want to buy in. Oh, there's a new big bad. Okay, cool. Whatever. And so I turn it off with the anticipation that I might part ways. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm easily swayed y'all. I'm, and I'm in sales. <laughs> So let me go check out Rotten Tomatoes. Like, like what is the consensus? Because I don't, because like movies. Okay. Um, if there's a movie I plan to watch and want to watch and have an interest in, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. sit down and watch a two hour movie and not consume stuff. But we're talking a, a, a third season of a very high concept tightrope mm. TV show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so it's like, well, I, I don't have to do this, you know? Like I can not watch this thing. So then I go look at the Rotten Tomatoes and the reviews are like stellar. Oh, mm. I mean like plus 90% for sure. season three. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. So part of me was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like, doggone it. I really wanted just like a big goose egg or something. Just, just yeah. make it easy for me. You sure, know? So I, I was like, okay, fine. I'll, and, and in fact, um, other than just the numeric, some of the just headlines were very praising of season three. Mm. So I, so I did dive back in. I am two and a half episodes in. I haven't even looked to see how many there are. Presumably eight or ten. There's eight. Um. Uh, okay. Wow. I've been sitting on that one. <laughs> um. <laughs> All episode. I've been like, ask about dark. Yeah, yeah, ask yeah, about yeah, dark. Yeah. I am ready. <laughs> I am ready with the episode count. Um. <laughs> Now, you know, I'm, I'm digging it. It's, it's, I, I don't totally know where it's all going to land, of course, but sure, it's just sure. as, I think I just kind of miss the intimacy of season one, mm. you know, like yeah. before yeah. it just like <laughs> exploded mm-hmm. because literally read literally in one episode, <laughs> you're in 1888, you're in 2050, you're in an, another dimension. You're like, Oh my God, y'all like. How are we? And I love Lost, and it did a little bit of this stuff, but this is like they just don't care if you keep up. They really don't. <laughs> Good luck finding out when this is. <laughs> like we're just gonna show you pictures. Recognize this person? Nope, not the same person. You know. <laughs> nope. You know what we're gonna introduce? Triplets. <laughs> it's gonna be so fun. <laughs> There, there's a trio of characters that launched season three. So yeah. Uh, there you go. Anyway, oh my now to its credit, something that does happen that I do like is they do pick up some some threads that you might worry at the end of season two they're not going to follow because oh, of okay. the sure. events of the sure. end of season two. You do you do get back to relatively promptly. Oh, um, interesting. Okay, all right, cool. So yeah, overall, right now, as of two and a half episodes into season two, I am enjoying dark season three. I'm, awesome. I'm holding it rather loosely because you kind of have to. Otherwise, yeah. it's just going to pop you into another time zone timeline. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's what I got. Re-ring. All right. That's well, what I got. Why don't we let uh, old uh, Tears for Fears Beckley send us send us out again? Let's do that. Let's find it. Cue it up. I wanna know what you're watching and reading. I never found out what you're listening to. What you watching, reading, listening to. Mm-hmm. What you watching, reading, listening to. Do, do I wanna know? That's that's, that's so classic. great. You know, your little head bob thing looked very much like Night at the Roxbury kind of. I that was fun. That was a fun was... <laughs> SNL bit. Yes, indeed, indeed. Okay, <laughs> so um, we are starting a brand new phase. Uh, when we launched this with the uh, preamble, prelude, prologue, whatever you want to say, uh, of uh, the B-side Infinity War, where we had um, a good friend of the show, Ian Olson, on to discuss- Can you stay on brand and say friend of the fog? Friend of the fog? Okay. <laughs> Fine. I'm just playing with you. Go ahead. Friend of the fog. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Ian Olson was on uh, to discuss Infinity War, and then we moved into season one of HBO's The Leftovers. And the concentration on the films that we were covering in that time were about ghosts and ghost stories. And a lot of season one dealt with grief and and uh, dealt with uh, the problems of trauma in sort of a post-cataclysmic uh, environment and how you cope and how you deal with that. So. Um, we did that phase and now we're moving into season two and the leftovers itself kind of lends itself to different thematic focal points in each particular season. So in season two, uh, this focus is going to be on, uh, uh something like, uh, I mean, it, it sounds a bit on the nose to say revelations. That's not, uh, not revelations in terms of like just apocalypse, although, Apocalypse does mean revealing or unveiling, um, but it's going to be hinging on things that and ways that cataclysmic happenings um, or major, major life events can position you to learn things about yourself um, and uh, certain things that are hidden underneath the surface, certain things you're not considering, certain realities you haven't come to grips with uh, that begin to emerge and reveal themselves. So uh, the film slate that we are moving into right now will feature five films. We're going to do five films this time around, uh, five films which each have as part of their narrative thread um, a sense where there's a profound revelation somewhere in the story that uh, sort of turns everything on its head, uh, either for the characters themselves or for us as viewers uh, or maybe both. Um, So that's what we are venturing into. So in just a moment, we're going to be launching this phase, uh, season two uh, of hashtag in the morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, with a discussion of the first two episodes of season two of The Leftovers. And then we will have an extended conversation about Martin Scorsese's film, uh, really probably his only film that would be classified as a horror thriller, Shutter Island. So um, are you ready to dive in and let the mystery be? Uh, I, I would totally love to let the mystery be, and we will happily get to that. But I am curious, uh, not to put you on the spot here, but something that just registered for me that I'd love to have you offer some input on. So sure. So that it's clear in the morning is this overarching series that is uh, examining leftovers as the spine seasons one, two, and three. Each of those, as you just outlined, seasons one, two, and three have their own sort of slice of what we would say is the purpose and intent behind the in the morning series. Um, 
you know, season one being this remnant idea and uh, uh, the idea of ghosts, the idea of loss is very tactile and tangible in this current kind of global pandemic moment in which we find ourselves. And so I'm curious, uh, one, to pat you on the back of just devising some of these inroads for conversation, but how, as you were in the mental process of devising, how would you connect what you just described of revealing about yourself that you mm. laid out of this slate of films and connect it to that overarching in the morning? How would you sort of articulate that? So a lot of times what can happen is, and I, I do think it's really funny that you, I mean, it is a, a bit ironic that you're asking me this question because I, I took to social media like literally two days ago, devised this whole big post that I was going to share and spit out into the world. Ultimately didn't because I, I wasn't, happy with the language and wanted to err on the side of uh, waiting to speak rather than speaking something when I couldn't say what I really meant. Um, but I feel like when the global pandemic kind of hit, it really brought to light a lot of things. It, it, it revealed things about figures in leadership. I don't just mean uh, governmental bodies, uh, but sure. also in businesses and in homes and, and, and things. And, and I think it really sort of revealed priorities and where people uh, place the full extent of their attention and what they view as, as truly um, vital and what's not truly vital. Um, so that I'm not being vague or, 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 or too um, nebulous about obtuse. the thing. Uh, yeah. Obtuse um, is, so, like, I'm, I'm really, I've been thinking a lot. Now, this is the kind of conversation I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but I, I love that you that you brought this up because I think this is important. Um, I've been thinking a lot recently about idolatry and idols and uh, and and ways in which times like a global pandemic and the pressure that it puts you under and the ways it disrupts normality can force you to confront or at least to reveal certain things that you've placed in your heart that might be considered uh, idols, whether that be, uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not merely talking about, cause there's a, what sort of tipped me over is this conversation that I actively don't want to have right now, because I, I think it would just take away from too many other things um, of like the statues that had been uh, raised up as, yeah, as sure. tributes and, and, and should they come down? And obviously there is a direct connection where you talk about like, Oh, tearing down statues and tearing down idols like that just sure. connected in, in my mind uh, for, for purely superficial reasons. But then it did sort of begin to unpack that. I'm like, well, you can begin to look at the way people talk and the way people think, and you can begin to see what represents a true priority in their life, whether that be uh, they idolize history or they idolize Safety, going back to episode five of Fear of God, we talked about the idolatry of safety, uh, or whether they idolize um, liberty, or whether they idolize, um, you know, equality, or like there's all kinds of things. And all of these things may be in their proper context, good and valuable and right and cherishable and praiseworthy, and they may they may be all of those things. But what begins to happen is in situations like this, when we begin to position those good and right and, and great things as ultimate things, mm. then things begin to get ugly. And suddenly you begin to watch your humanity dissolve in front of you. And it can reveal certain things about uh, about you. And ironically, I was not thinking about this when I built the the sort of templates for how we would 
navigate through the leftovers. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it did connect for me that the word apocalypse, which is often used to mean like devastating or, or concluding or like, you know, a dystopian future sort of idea. But um, apocalypse or actually- Or an X-Men villain. Or an X-Men villain. Exactly. And a so-so X-Men movie. But um, <laughs> the- uh, So-so father. <laughs> so-so. But- um, Apocalypse really means like the unveiling or the revealing and sure. and and so the dots just connected for me and and there's a lot of thematic things that we'll get into with leftovers when we cover season two as a whole, but right. there's a lot of things in leftovers season two, like you're gonna hear a refrain of you know people saying, "I don't understand what's happening and and a couple of times somebody looks right back at them and says, "Yes, you do, you do understand what's happening, you know, and how these things these traumatic events sort of raise up revelations that we're in denial about ourselves or that we're in denial about what we prioritize. And and that's how it connected. There's this grieving part where we just sort of mourn what's lost and we we move into a place of coping or coming to terms with what we've lost. But then there is also a piece of it where we have to come to terms with what we have learned about ourselves and what we see about ourselves and who we are. And I think that is as vital um, if not more vital than the other piece of it. And so that's what prompted uh, this focal point for yeah. going through season two. Well, I, so. I appreciate you unpacking that and hopefully listeners did too. Um, without further ado, Reed. <clears throat> now we find ourselves back in leftover season two, but not back in Mapleton, New York. No, friends. This time around, we find ourselves smack dab in the prehistoric era, at least for a moment, to then shortly thereafter find ourselves in one Jardin, Texas, which will become the place that we hang out in for the pretty much the entirety of season two of Leftovers. And without further ado, we now examine episodes one, Axis Mundi, and episodes two, A Matter of Geography. Of the leftovers, season two. Read. A miracle. Read. Nathan. Riri, I. To people who don't have the same level of investment in the TV show Leftovers as I do, which I can recognize and I can own, maybe it isn't unique to me. I know you share similar levels of affection, but I also know it isn't for everybody. So I can recognize that setting that aside. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I didn't know how much my soul needed to hear a bluegrass tinged feminine vocaled hymn <laughs> about the need to let the mystery be set against imagery of mm. joy and loss. I can't mm. like my, I, I couldn't describe it. I tried to describe sure. it to my wife. I'm like, I'm failing. It doesn't, I don't, I don't know. It's, it is, it is too deep for me to unpack in a coherent fashion to explain how like a hot air balloon rocketed into the atmosphere was mm. just mm -hmm. the experience of starting season two and, and being reminded of that in that moment. Like, yeah, I, sure. I even knew sure. it was coming, but I wasn't consciously thinking about it. And right when that song starts, that opening track, I was like, oh, my God, yeah. I needed this oh, yeah. Yeah. so much. It mm -hmm. is I was even pondering this. It reminds me it 
that title sequence makes me think of the the Beekner quote I do love so much and is hanging in our home. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. Like, oh my God, <laughs> I had no idea how much I needed to hear this song, these words set against this imagery. And yeah. it, it, it had a wildly profound effect on me just yeah. hearing the dumb title credit sequence <laughs> no understand it yeah so it's a, that's the first big thing you notice uh when you get into this one is is, is there's a because it's a completely different title sequence uh featuring the song called let the mystery be by iris dement and it's uh set to so listeners who watched it know this but it's set to images of people you said you know uh people of, of joy and loss uh, because it's images of very happy people they're all very uh joyful images but in each of the pictures, there is the shadow of somebody who used to be there that's not. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's powerful imagery. It's really, really powerful imagery. Um, and uh, in many ways, and I'll, I'll use the cre- opening credit sequence to, to express this, in many ways, The Leftovers feels to me like two shows. And it feels like season one is season one. Like, if you're viewing TV as a movie instead, season one was what it was and and just sort of wraps up. And then season two is almost like a sequel to season one, not necessarily a continuation of the same show, although it technically is a continuation of the same show and certainly of the same characters and similar themes. But it feels in many ways like a sequel to season one. And then season three, when we get there, feels very much like a kind of an extended epilogue to what we got in season two. So I'll contextualize more of that when we get to season three. But um, but yeah, I, I, and a lot of that is rooted in like this completely new title sequence that kind of recalibrates what the show is trying yeah. to explore and say and do. Um and uh, yeah, so, so I, I love it. Absolutely. And so then when we go into the episode, uh, again, Axis Mundi, which the, the, it's, I believe it's a Latin phrase means axis of the world. Um, I, in my little looking, uh, found out that it means the connection between heaven and earth. And so uh, when we start it, we don't have any of our core characters. Um, we started to, to throw to throw a dark curveball at you. Axis Mundi, sic mundus. Oh, that's right. Mm, yeah, that's right. That's exactly yeah. right. Um, so uh, not only do we not have any of our core characters, we don't have the modern era <laughs> when we when we open up <laughs> yeah, season yeah, yeah, two yeah. of of this. Um, we have you know this this. You mentioned prehistoric. This woman uh, steps outside of uh, literally a a a cave woman, uh, prehistoric woman steps outside of the cave where she's dwelling, and she's pregnant. She's about to give birth. Literally, a huge earthquake happens, collapses the cave, presumably kills all of her uh, you know fellow companions inside, and then she's trapped outside where then where she then proceeds to have just some of the most horrendous. Uh, sequence of things like she she gives birth out there and then she and her baby are trapped like in a rainstorm and then she sees something in the distance like smoke signals or whatever and so then she begins to traverse that you know way but she's struggling to find food she gets bit by a venomous snake it's just oh it's terrible it's awful um and then i remember so um what listeners may or may not know uh is is I invited my wife to finally watch the show, and 
unlike when we went through season one on the show, I had not rewatched season one before we discussed it. And so now I'm going into this conversation and I have rewatched season two. Um, uh, also am rewatching it now. So now I have some fresher context for the whole of it while I'm also uh, revisiting it here. And when I showed that to my wife, I remember about four or five what, episodes. The in, she, scene? Yeah, yeah. She, she looked at me and, and said like, do we ever find out what the deal was with that cave? <laughs> and I'm like, well, uh, not, 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 not really, not in the way that you would think. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, um, immediately following that, uh, I'm just moving through like some likes, yeah. dislikes. I'll, uh, my, my first couple here were introduced to the, to Jarden, Texas and to the Murphys. Um, I, I one of the early things that we see from John Murphy, the the um, patriarch of this family, is that he clearly has some deeply rooted issues. Goodness gracious! Um, first thing we see is him in, antagonizing a childhood friend who positions himself as a kind of a psychic of sorts. John's very skeptical of that, and uh, so skeptical to a degree that his reactions are, uh, we could say, extreme. <laughs> In terms well, of, and it, uh, it quickly yeah. establishes he has some some pathological history of animus towards the the non literal, more or less. Yeah, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And it's absolutely. it's really powerful. And then the I, I don't want to take up just this entire time. The next note that I have on here is just uh, that miracle song gets stuck in your head in like the worst way. Oh, it's yeah. like not a song the, the I enjoy, chorus, but it, the yeah, but it school but chorus. it gets stuck. It's it's pretty catchy. Um, um uh, I love Regina King. Goodness gracious, she's, she's so good and she will she's outstanding. She she just kills it in this whole season, but you know, welcome to the leftovers party. Um <laughs> I love and this is just my sort of perverse way of enjoying things. Like I just love that the whole first episode basically is nothing familiar. You know, yeah. it's it's a new geography. It starts with a new, a, a different era of a different epoch, rather. Um, you know, so you've got that. You've got a new geography. You've got brand new characters. The only hint yeah. towards what we know comes in a very jarring fashion, but in a really fun fashion, which is at the church when, you know, yeah. the pastor says, I'm going on leave and we've got an interim pastor and there's no fanfare whatsoever. All of a sudden, Matt Jamison is, you know, just the yeah, smiling right. Chris Eccleston. Like, oh, yeah, that's me. You know, yeah. <laughs> and I just I just and it's love a full it. 40 minutes. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. A full it's like 40 minutes into the episode before we, we have any familiarity with it at all. It's a really bold storytelling choice, but a good one. Uh, it, it's it's impressive. This will um, this will come back to to haunt the proceedings of of season two but in a way that it didn't register with me the first time i watched this years ago um evie tells the knock knock joke about the broken pencil and Mm -hmm. uh, john says broken pencil who and she says never mind it's pointless uh which which has a rich thematic guilty remnant-esque quality to it um absolutely yeah that's 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 more or less my my broad notes on. I just have uh, two one. more things. Yeah, I have two more things to mention. I just had a little note where it said a uh, few things terrify me more than scenes in films or TV when somebody sticks their hands down a garbage oh, disposal. Yes, yes, yes. I I mm. felt that John Murphy. That, that's me. <laughs> that's me. I'm like ah, that's I right. know. 
I know intellectually that I'm not going to flip that switch. Is someone going to run up and flip it on me? But I just don't know, you know? Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so I had that. Um, I will say about John, um, this is going to come up more, so we don't have to unpack all this right now, but some of the authority he bears in the town and the actions he takes with relative impunity strike me as kind of odd because there doesn't seem, other than the park rangers, there doesn't seem to be any specific law enforcement presence in Jarden outside of just, you know, the, the park rangers. Um, so I wonder why he's allowed to do these things that everybody apparently knows he does sure. with, without sort of repercussions to it. Like he's, he clearly has tremendous weight of authority inside the town, uh, to the degree that his validation or not, you know, causes the authority figures to just back off in some cases that will, you know, one particularly right. that we'll see in the next episode. Um, so, uh, or no, and just in a, in a few episodes, I mean, um, so yeah, that, uh, that just strikes me as odd. It's going to come up again later in different contexts, but I just wonder like, how did John establish this authority? Why does he hold so much weight? Um, and, and I don't know that the show ever really sort of defines it deliberately. Um, but then my last note, uh, on this episode is the, uh, you pointed out that she makes the joke and uh, the pencil and says it's pointless. Also, Evie's epilepsy mm -hmm. and then uh, when she comes to her first words are I went away and uh, mm -hmm. I just thought that was like oh man yeah, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of little yeah. a lot of little lines in yeah. there that, that kind of point to what's going on but that's a stellar opening to season two uh, episode two is called a matter of geography so one thing that we didn't highlight in episode one's discussion is that 40 minutes in you see Matt Jameson we mentioned that but then about 45, 46 minutes, just a few minutes later, we see Nora and Kevin and Jill with the, the baby that Lily. Holy Wayne and Christine had, Lily. Um, they all arrive in Jarden next door to the Murphys. And uh, that's just the, that we hadn't seen them before, didn't know anything about them, and then they just arrive. So um, a matter of geography takes us all the way back into Mapleton and paints for us the picture of kind of how they arrived there um, in quick succession. And, uh, you know, I always loved the opening, kind of the opening of this episode right after they rehash for us the ending of season one where Nora finds the baby on the porch. And then it goes into later that evening where they're sitting down and and Nora's going to stay because her bags are already packed. And, and Kevin admittedly is like, like, wait a minute, like, are we doing this? We don't. We don't really know each other. Like, what's going on? And I just love that scene where she's I like, what do you need to know? Yeah. It's it's wonderful. Like, Well, what do you and need it's to such know? a, one, it's a bit of a break for Lindelof, but two, it's a bit counterintuitive from a rules of writing standpoint, right? Like, mm. your mm -hmm. your typical trajectory is you need secrets, right? Yes. And, yes. and, and, it's, and, and storytelling is characters navigating the withholding or divulgion divul di divulging divulging of mm -hmm. their secrets and so yeah. what's really powerful about that scene now sadly secrets start accruing again or at yeah, least you know there's quickly. still some some echoes some hauntings of secrets there but one thing i love about that scene is in that moment at least those characters are being as transparent with maybe even themselves as we've ever seen them and it's just a really yes, powerful absolutely it's really powerful um, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Absolutely you know wonderful. The, that that refrain of "It's okay, it's okay, mm -hmm. it's okay" is really mm -hmm. really lovely. Um, 
this episode introduces a concept that will that will carry through the rest of the series um when not with this specificity exactly but when the mit researchers are buying nora's house and she's yeah. trying to suss out why they're so interested and mm-hmm. uh she says or they say rather um of of people studying this it's to protect themselves in case of a recurrence and she says mm-hmm. do you think it's going to happen again and their simple response is well why wouldn't it and i just yeah. that's a really loaded scene that sets her on her path mm-hmm. And Absolutely. for the series yes. itself becomes this spectral mm-hmm. conceit, you know, of, yes. of concern for these characters, because oh, one thing absolutely. remarkably, we, I don't, you may have mentioned this and I may have zoned out. I apologize if you have, but the, the value of Jarden as a, as a geography in the series oh, is there's no, been zero departures there. And so yes. it becomes this haven, um, not just, not just Haven, but a, a national park, right? Like it's, yeah. it is, uh, an almost not almost, but a religiously sought after location. And so absolutely. We are the 9,261. We are spared. Wow. It is, uh, Talk about yeah. idolatry. no kidding. No kidding. And um, that's you know, that's definitely going to come up. Um, what else you got for two? So I, I wrote a couple of lines down that I think are just, uh, are, are really cool. Um, the first one is what Nora says. So she's helping to pitch the tent in the backyard there. They've, they've gone into Jarden. They had rented a house from Mapleton to relocate to Jarden as a kind of an experiment. When they get there, they find out that the house has been burned down. So then, uh, in a, a very impulsive and frustrating effort to continue their quest to make it into Jarden, Nora, who just earned a cool almost three million for the MIT professors who wanted to buy her house, uh, drops three million dollars sight unseen on a house in Jarden uh, in probably one of the first concrete scenes that shows us, yeah, we're not OK. Right, we're not OK right. at all. Um, and so then uh, when they're pitching, when she's pitching the tent, because they temporarily stay with Matt and Mary, um, who are just staying in this kind of the garage next to the church where Matt is helping. And when they're pitching the tent back there and uh, she's interrogating Matt a bit about why he doesn't want to come and stay with them and all these other sorts of stuff. And then uh, Kevin's like, look, he doesn't, Nora. It's fine. And then she looks at her and she's like, you two bury a body together and now you got each other's backs. So. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I was like, wow, it's wonderful. And then Matt looks at her and he's like, you told her? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. Um, and then the other line that I had written down, which uh, has uh, just tremendous more profundity to it, is uh, something we have not explicitly mentioned yet but did get teased at the end of season one is that kevin is not only hearing voices like his father and causes him to put earbuds in where he cranks heavy music loudly but he is also seeing patty levin and she's you know echoing things in his ear and when they're about to go over to the house of the murphys and hang out with them for the first time she says hard to tell if they're part of your story or if you're part of theirs Oh, what a line. Oh, man, what a line. Um, well, so, it's yeah. funny. You, you yeah. just said something that is is knocking around my skull here, and that's how you interpret Nora's plunking $3 million for this house being a signal of, the, of not okayness. And, and it's funny because I actually, for that moment in time, read that as quite opposite. Like she 
Oh, I agree with you. It is a it is a uncommonly wild choice to make. Sure, but we're sure. in an uncommonly wild universe of this show, and there's a, a scene at the end of this episode where Jill of Nora says to Kevin, she needs to be here because it makes her feel safe. Yes. And Kevin's response is, and what if it's no safer than any place else? So I do think for a brief moment, like Nora is, and, and this will, this will come up and I won't unpack it too much here, but this will come up throughout season two. At least it's, I know you're caught up on season two again. uh, I don't remember everything past all this, but this notion of safety and, 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 and to me, what that, that, that particular thread in these two episodes had a very strong resonance with the world right now. Like our need to just, my God, feel because there's a difference between an idolatry of safety and there's a, and, and just being okay in your moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. those are, those are different yeah. things. Like you can worship yeah. the mm-hmm. need to yeah. be there, but you can also mm-hmm. be the Nora who's just like, no, for this, what's going to quickly dissolve. But for this brief shining moment, Nora is okay. And, and screw mm-hmm. money that like, what does money matter? If yeah, however, right or wrong, however rational or not, I'm in, I'm in where I'm supposed to be, you know, and, and that yes. there's just a really powerful sort of well, and, thread and, there. And, and also it directly ties to the thesis that the MIT professors give her when they buy her house, as they said, we think it might be a matter of geography. Right. So they've planted seeds yes. that yeah. and, and it's going to come up later, but they've planted seeds in her mind that like, no, we think it's a matter of geography. So if you're the one who lost three of her family members, why would you not want to be sure. in the town where, where nobody lost? lost right. Yeah, nobody lost anything. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is, yeah, it's either way, it is a, a an incredibly affecting sort of moment and, and vital to the journey that this character is, is eventually going to go on. Um, I only had one other little note here that I wanted to bring up is, um, so... Nora says something towards the end because, you know, Kevin is seeing Patty and, and that's really obviously disturbing for him uh, because in the early part of the episode, we didn't highlight it very much, but in the early part of the episode, you know, he goes and inters Patty's body um, mm, and mm-hmm. delivers it to the authorities, like kind of kind of wanting to get caught. And the police officer uh, <laughs> asks him, are like, you trying to blow you, up your life. Yeah. You trying to blow up your life um, message and. <laughs> so uh so yeah so but nora says and again i don't know how well you remember season two but nora says if there's something you want to tell me whatever it is i can handle it and that to me it's like you have the scene in the beginning of that episode where they told each other their deepest darkest secrets and it was okay right they said it and it was it was okay now she makes this affectionate and devotive sort of declaration like if there's something you want to tell me whatever it is i can handle it without in case you don't remember the events she's wrong and she's and and she's not wrong in the sense of like she's deliberately being deceitful she is not self-aware enough to realize that no she can't handle it right and 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 we will discover i won't tell you know all of what's going on but you know you'll see come on riri back off the spoiler hints you know come on (laughs) um but but you'll see you know in the episodes we discuss you know next week just how 
uh, on the edge, Nora really is. Um, and, uh, and, and what a kind of a house of cards her general okayness, sure. um, kind of is. And, um, so anyway, that's, that's my final sort of narrative comment. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to unpack themes. Did you have anything else that you wanted to bring out from season, from episode two? Um, only <coughs> that has been the first installment of our prolonged conversation on leftovers season two in this case episodes one and two where we're introduced to the murphy clan part of the population of jardin texas where there have been zero departures come on down but be sure you have your wristband see you next week on tv guideposts that was fun all right that was fun re-read Indeed, Reed, indeed. We gotta, so, we got a movie um, to get here. Right. I don't know if you so, remember. Uh, we've got that to do too. Yes, yes. So, so we've spent a lot of time here. Uh, had a lot to do, but uh, but we're going to get into Martin Scorsese's film uh, Shutter Island. So, I've got some things. Um, I'm gonna just sort of. You and I didn't have a huge chance to pre-brief beforehand. I'm going to sort of lean in on the fact that I have got some things to say about oh this boy. movie. I'm not I'm not going to dominate the conversation, yeah, but right. um, <laughs> but I do want to uh, sort of sort of uh, lead the way with a couple of trivial bits so that we can get the actual trivial parts of the conversation out of the way, and then uh, maybe don't know how long we'll stay on likes, dislikes, and scares and stuff. Um, but but yeah, I think there's a lot to think about from what this film is, is trying to say in its last half hour or so. So um, one thing I should say, I'm probably going to say it on the other four episodes in this series, because we are dealing with films that in their nature have big reveals in them. That's part of the theme of this series. That's that we, these are going to be spoiler heavy conversations. If you have not already seen these films, these films by their nature, do have uh, reveals or conceits or surprises, not necessarily twist endings. That's not really the case all the time. Um, but they have certain things about them that will affect how you view them if you know them beforehand. So if you haven't seen Shutter Island, then you need to consider whether you want to continue this conversation or you want to continue it after you have seen it. That having been said, the title is an anagram itself for Truth and Lies which you may have seen in your uh, research for, for trivia. What I didn't know is that at the time, this was the biggest box office success for Scorsese, both the biggest opening weekend and until Wolf of Wall Street, it was his highest grossing film, which mm. I did not know. I, was, I didn't realize it was that successful. It was wildly successful, almost $300 million it made, but I didn't realize that that was such a big deal for Scorsese's catalog. Um, in a similar vein, and this is like, this is really the only intersection except for maybe a B-side that we would have the opportunity to talk about the work of Martin Scorsese. But completely by surprise, I just sort of looked up like, oh, what's the Rotten Tomatoes score on this? And I saw that it was like 68%, which is is serviceable or whatever. But I, I looked through Scorsese's catalog, and this is actually only his second lowest scoring film. Like, to give you an insight into the critical legacy of Martin Scorsese... Literally, he only has one film critics rated on Rotten Tomatoes as rotten, and that was his debut with like 52%, which is which even that isn't like terrible right. in the scheme of things. But I mean, then, we've covered the, worse on here. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the next one up in the list would be Shutter Island at 68%. Everything else is like north of 70. Mm. Like, and, and like everything he's directed, he's produced some stuff that has lower scores, but everything he's directed is like 70 and above. I mean, so, so Scorsese is one of the most vibrant and, and important filmmakers of the 20th century. Um, and so this is his only sort of like, horror thriller uh the last bit of trivia that i thought you might find interesting is i discovered in my research that one of the pieces of music he used in this Mm -hmm. was a classical composition by none other than max richter who oh no that's not where i thought you were going interesting yeah 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 Um, where i thought you were going to say is i saw a note about him sampling or something the shining score in the in the opening yeah in the opening credit sequence i think there's a very brief okay so retell me the max richter factoid you just said so uh there so the score is culminated together with uh both uh traditionally classical compositions and modern classical composers and there is a piece i did not i did not find which one it was or exactly the sequence it's used in i just know it's used in the last half hour of the film and it's a piece by max richter who uh listeners who may not know this is the um composer. primary composer yeah. for uh the leftovers yeah, so that's awesome i thought that was really interesting well yeah. the only the only uh true bit i had that i thought was fun at least was mark ruffalo my my boyfriend as my wife calls him <laughs> uh won the role that he plays in this movie by sending scorsese a fan letter saying how much yes. he wanted to work with him. <laughs> just, I'm going to try that. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, Mott, I'd love to be in your pictures. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they are. They're yeah. Martin Scorsese pictures. Yeah, it's a picture. They're not films. No. <laughs> and this it's, was, uh, it's so, funny you say that, because this was the last one shot on film, right? I think I saw it that. It was, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, he just so, yeah, betrayed so, his medium. <laughs> um. You had said when this came up in our conversation on Black Swan, where Shutter Island was in the top 10 favorite horror mm-hmm. films of 2010, you'd mentioned that you saw this in the theaters. Was this only your second time seeing it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what's your general history on it? What's your what's your feelings about it? Like, I've, grown, the film, I've grown to not be sure how much I like you asking this the way you've been doing it lately. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Mm, why um, is that? Well, I'll, I'll reframe it in our oh okay all right apocalypse sort of (laughs) conceit here apocalypse now no um i'm interested to see where you go um i don't like this film okay um -hmm. i think let me let me let me nuance that I think it's masterfully made and that's not me patting Scorsese on the back. Like I, I like Scorsese fine. I don't have, I'm not a devotee or have a huge horse in that race, but sure, but just sure. watching it, you're like, yeah, I mean, this is just excellent film craft. No question. Um, the first time I saw it, I was put off by its heaviness by the end. Mm, and end, what's yeah. interesting is this time watching it, I couldn't remember exactly how it ends. I, I knew, you know, there's some reveal waiting and, and it, sure, it recontextualizes right, right. stuff. And I, I had the recollection of role play is happening, but I yes, couldn't quite yes. remember how it, how it resolves. And, and one for me, this is for me. You asked the question. Sure. Yes. For me, I, I, I don't know 
that I think the conceit holds. It is. Hmm. It feels. I don't know that you're asking for all of this, but I'm giving it to you. No, it, this um, is the reason I asked the question. <laughs> if you know the conceit, watching it this time, knowing there's a version of role play, not remember exactly how it all plays out. I all I could think was like, I just don't think I believe this. Like I don't mm-hmm. even knowing when Kingsley says in ten minutes, oh, I'm I'm a specialist that who 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 utilizes this form of therapy. He's like, okay, that that's what's happening. I couldn't remember yes. all of it, but that's what's right, happening. Right. And just the further it went, the more I was like, man, this is this is a this is a lot to buy in on for the concept. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. now, to your point. You alluded to this a minute ago. To your point, I do think the last half hour is strong from a character standpoint. But sure. by the time it got there, I was a little weighed down by just how sort of how much I was being asked to suspend disbelief that this would all work. Not not that not that in movie it would work on this character, but as in, guess what? Right. <laughs> all right. Of these people are playing this really long game on this one dude. Like sure. that's a lot sure. to kind of buy in on. And couple that with what, and I, and we're watching the leftovers, and and we we we're a horror themed show. But what I find to be a deeply troubling and troubled story at work that once its mm. pieces get revealed, it's just it's just really hard to be like, yeah, I like this, or I'm a fan of this. It it really sure is a is is tough to get to that point what's interesting yeah. is even in saying all that i do think it's effective mostly yeah i mm-hmm. think it's well made it's not something this is a really weird way to describe this it's not something that if i walked in and someone's watching i'd be like oh god shutter island or turn this off you know what i mean <laughs> sure, I, that's a weird course, sort yeah. of way to parse that but i i can appreciate it i don't mm-hmm. i'm worried you're about to be like gotcha um, but <laughs> I, I'm worried you're role playing me. You're like, let me set Nathan up here for <laughs> the long con here. Turns out I'm actually your therapist, Nathan. I don't know if you picked up on that the last three years, but uh, yeah, the fear of God has we, actually been yeah. a long. <laughs> <laughs> all those people who have been talking on the Facebook group. I've, I I hired I've been those waiting. people. And <laughs> oh my gosh. Um so yeah, that's that's a really long Spring it on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that's a really long sort of yeah. response to that. This is why I don't know that I love you asking this these days because No, I'm, I'm you've you've just firmly entrenched why I will continue indefinitely to ask that question. So, um but because Don't do that. That feels mean. <laughs> no, because here's the thing is I I want I feel like I get, and I'm. It's not manipulative on my part. I feel like if you no, because okay. I feel like if you know what I'm going to say beforehand, or if you know where I'm going to come from, I feel like you're you'll hold back a little bit on on some of like what you're what you're thinking about or what you're feeling or whatever like that. And so, um, you know, definitely not intending to be coercive or, or anything like that. But I do want a more you know authentic response right a, but what i don't uh, want you know, is you to just then be like oh well now i've heard your case now i'm gonna pick <laughs> apart what no, you're no, no. saying here no not at all not at all um do you at least in- do you i'm sorry do you uh, to uh, to reverse the question do yeah do you whether you ultimately and it sounds like you won't agree with the takeaway do you does what i'm saying make some sense like 
Like, oh, absolutely okay. does. No, absolutely does. No, absolutely does. My only defense of the conceit. So we should we should specify for two hours of well. So uh, the movie is a little over two hours long. For about an hour and a half, you think Leonardo DiCaprio is a U.S. marshal who has come to Shutter Island to investigate the disappearance of a patient named Rachel Solando, and while he is investigating with his new partner Chuck, played by Mark Ruffalo. While he's investigating this disappearance of Rachel Solando, he's tormented by increasingly heavy dreams. Uh, he has a fraught past, which he kind of alludes to. Um, and then he's uncovering conspiracy after conspiracy on this island, culminating in a place to where he feels he has truly sort of he's going to just blow the lid off this place, as he says in one scene. And he arrives at the place where he feels like he's going to get the big gotcha moment on all of the people who run this facility. And instead, he is confronted by Ben Kingsley, who is the doctor who says, no, in point of fact, you are a patient in this facility. And this these past three days have been an elaborately staged therapy session wherein you are allowed to act out your delusion in the efforts to bring you to sanity. So that is the conceit. That is the premise of Shutter Island, because the reason he is so delusional and the reason he is so insane is because he was a, a veteran and uh, had came back from the war with some heaviness. He married a woman who had severe mental Ill, illness and because of his own personal issues, he did not address her mental illness to the degree that it deserved. And one day he comes home, being largely sort of coasting through his life, he comes home to horrifically discover that in her own delusions, she has drowned their children, all three of them. And in, in response to that, she compels him to murder her. And that's what happens. Uh, he has just witnessed that his three children are dead, and then he murders his wife, and he cannot cope. He cannot psychologically cope with having committed that crime and having gone through that. So he creates for himself an elaborate delusion in which he is a U.S. Marshal, which in the real world, he was a formal U.S. Marshal. And so he creates for himself a delusion where he gets to play out this life of a U.S. Marshal investigating these conspiracy theories, while meanwhile, all around him are people who are struggling to sort of navigate his tendencies. He thinks his name is Edward Daniels. So when George Noyce calls him by his real name, he goes off and beats him within an inch of his life because he's one of the most violent patients at Shutter Island. So the premise of this film is that the doctor has staged an elaborate sort of, um, like you said, role play to sort of try to drive him to sanity. And one of the really tragic things about it, and then I'll get to sort of my feelings and thoughts on it and history with it. One of the tragic things about it is that basically Ben Kingsley, who plays Dr. Cauley, tells him, he tells Leo's character, if this does not work, they will lobotomize you because they are going to take a permanent choice to do away with your agency and and with your violent tendencies, if this does not work, if we cannot bring you to sanity, you will be lost forever. And so that is the, so Chuck, played by Mark Ruffalo, is revealed to be his psychiatrist um, and the, the guy that's been working with him for two years to try to do this. And so that's the premise of the film. You talked about buy-in and you talked about believability. I'm a little front-loaded on this in that 
completely before the film had been announced. I read the book by mm, Dennis Lehane. Mm. So so I went into the film first viewing, knowing what was going sure. on. And, and it did flavor sort of, you know, like, so, so I feel like it kind of, you know, in the same way that we talked, went way back in the day when we talked about uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village and how I felt like knowing the conceit beforehand helped me to appreciate what was happening in the film more because I didn't have to, as you say, buy in. Now, what's interesting about what you described is I feel like it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like your second viewing was lessened by knowing the conceit and feeling compelled that you had to buy into it more now that you sort of know what's happening. Is that is that a fair assessment? E- yes. Um, I think, but again, presenting these as just sort of observations, not so much hills to die on. Um, sure. As I've even sort of been processing it since this viewing, this is going to be a really weird sort of statement to make. It to, to me, it feels like it would work better on stage, um, mm. because so much, like this super random analogy you mentioned earlier, Night at the Roxbury, like an hour ago now, and <laughs> you know that feeling when you watch, at least back in the day, when you watched one of those SNL movies, you're like, ah, this definitely was should have never gotten the feature length treatment like <laughs> right, there's right. a little bit of that going on here where it's mm. so the production is so heightened and so True. kind of presented as naturalism that mm. by the time that pivot occurs is like dead gum that was a lot the 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 level of orchestration required in universe to to mm-hmm. to execute this thing feels a little this is going to be a strong word feels a little far-fetched to sort of no i don't so I would probably wholeheartedly agree with you if not for two factors. Factor number one, they are on an island. So isolation is possible. And and they they can construct a bottle of sorts. It's an island, but they can construct a bottle of sorts in which they can sure. manipulate yeah. the the playing pieces more more easily than they could have if this was on the mainland. Yeah. So 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 that's factor number one. Factor number two it is presented, although not heavily focused on, that Dr. Cauley is, to his peers, a bit of an outlier, that he that he has some radical ideas about treatment and about care, and that uh, Mark Ruffalo's character, who we mostly know as Chuck, we later find out that his name is, is Dr. Sheehan, but uh, he even says, he says, if, if we fail with you, he says to Leo, if we fail with you, everything we've worked for here will unravel sure. like if if we and and so to that end far-fetched absolutely but do i believe that it could have been staged as you know by by some people who have the financial backing to sort of say yes you can try this right, experiment right, but right. we're only going to allow this to go so far and if it doesn't work then it's over and we're pulling your funding and we're pulling your patients and they go back to traditional medicine right um you know so i can i can kind of buy in and uh, on on that uh level but and and maybe kind of the way we did Black Swan, I kind of want to, uh, for sake of time, we've already had a kind of a lengthy episode, but also just sort of sort of dive right in. Uh, please, by all means, don't withhold any sort of specific things that you want to focus on. But like, there's so much in the last half hour that was said. I got to be honest. So what was interesting? Letterbox does not like the ultimate standard or whatever. But first time I saw this. Um, I letterbox did not exist because it was like a decade ago when I 
rated that I had seen this on Letterboxd. I gave it three and a half stars. I was like, oh, okay. And Letterboxd is four, right? Uh, five, oh, okay. actually. So, um, so three and a half for me is actually like just a, eh, it's okay. Like, it's fine. Yeah, like I enjoyed it. Like you said, good craftsmanship. You know, don't don't know that I think very highly of the film. Um, so then when I was watching it this time around, I didn't remember what my letterboxed rating was. And I was about to go back and give it a really high rating, which I, which is my ultimate feeling about the film. But that that was what was interesting to me is is I was watching it and I was like, dang, yeah, I, I think and this is where I'm going to affirm you and contextualize what I'm about to say. I think as sometimes happens with these conversations that we have on this show, I think what I became captivated by thematically in the last half hour overshadowed what otherwise would have sure, sure. you know, uh, been a takeaway from the film. I think I latched on to something that was in the narrative of the film, but I think I latched on to it and, and, and that sort of just propelled me into feeling much stronger about the film as a whole than maybe the film deserves. Um, but th- just statement after statement began to sort of rise up. First of all, uh, he's reading his intake form. So Leo arrives at the lighthouse where all is begin to revealed to be revealed. And he's reading the intake form and the, the intake form says this, I wrote, I rewound it and wrote it down it says he shows no remorse for the crime because he denies the crime ever took place. He has highly developed and fantastical narratives, which preclude facing the truth of his actions. And then when Ben Kingsley, the Dr. Cawley character, is trying to compel him into a version of sanity, he says this. He's, oh, my God. He says, your crime is terrible, one you can't forgive yourself for, so you invented another mm-hmm. self. Mm-hmm. You've created – and this, this line, almost like emotionally, it knocked me over. He said, you've created a story in which you're not a murderer. You're a hero. And the ideas began to overwhelm me in the ways in which, and and there's a couple of sort of low-hanging fruit subjects. I'm going to try to make this broader because it felt bigger and broader to me. The ways in which, and again, this is what we're talking about, this pandemic and what it reveals about us and ourselves. The way this pandemic is sort of unpacking the cognitive dissonance that some people have about realities either personal or historical or uh, social or whatever, the, the realities that they've adopted. And, and I will say this of myself, and I will say it of people that I know. We sometimes show no remorse for the atrocities in which we are complicit because we deny those atrocities ever took place. And we develop these narratives which preclude facing the truth. And and so then in that moment, and then I'm going to get to the ultimate, the way the film ends, which just grounded for me my feelings about this film, is um, Leonardo DiCaprio goes through this phase of his life and Ben Kingsley sits down at one point and it talks to him and reaches out to him and says, my concern is we, and I didn't quote, uh, I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing these lines because I didn't write these lines down. He says, my concern is we had this exact same breakthrough nine months ago and then you regressed. Right. He said, we, you know, we've, we've been here before. 
and and then you regressed. And that made me think of like all you know, pick a subject in, right. in society or politics or whatever. Two steps forward or one step forward, two steps back. You know, and and this idea of like, yeah, we've had breakthroughs before. We've had. Um, you know, moments of lucidity where we really sort of begin to grasp and, and we feel like we're moving forward and then something happens and it just pulls us back. And I want to introduce, uh, just so you have the totality of my thoughts and my cards on the table. Um, there is an interpretive debate like there was with Black Swan. I didn't really mean it to be this way, but there's an interpretive debate about what is truly happening at the end of this film. Because what happens is, Leonardo is brought to clarity. He is aware of his crime. He's aware of his story. He's aware of his identity. And then he says, I'm, you know, and I didn't write this line down either, so I'm paraphrasing. He's like, you know, I murdered my wife because of what she had done. And he, with tears running down his face, I do want to say as a side note, holy cow, Leo DiCaprio. Like, what that man is able to deliver on screen is impressive in, in any degree. And um, yeah, with Gilbert. tears running down, <laughs> with tears running down his face, he says, in talking about the death of his children, he says, "I killed them because I didn't get her the help that she deserved. I killed them, and and that's really what he couldn't live with is he's recognizing that because I didn't take seriously what was happening in my house, my children were lost to me, and and that's why he suffers under this delusion, not because he he." Although this would be enough, not because he murdered his wife for what she had done, but because he bears this burden of like, I didn't take care of the problem up front. And because I didn't take care of the problem up front, this was the end result. And that's what he can't live with. So then he has that moment of clarity. We see him sitting on the steps. So when Ruffalo sits back down, uh, the character Chuck uh, Mm -hmm. or Dr. Sheehan sits back down beside him and he says, okay, well, what's next? Like, Right. What are we what are we going to do next, you know? And then he says, uh, well what we got to do is we got to get off this island, Chuck. So that is when Leo apparently has slid back into the delusion. Right. And Mark Ruffalo turns his head and shakes his head at at Ben Kingsley and basically like That's a rough little moment they oh, share. Yeah. Awful. He's not saying he's he's back in the delusion and Ben Kingsley, you see it on his face too like my work is going to fall apart. I wasn't successful. We failed. And so he uh, nods his head and agrees to allow uh, Leo's character to be lobotomized. But then, and if, if you weren't quite tracking on the wavelength uh, that I was with, maybe this, this didn't uh, you know, affect it the same way. But um, then when he's walking away, he basically, he's, he says, um, as, as he's walking, he turns back and he says, you know what this island makes me think of? Or you know that makes what this island makes me wonder? Makes me wonder if it's better to live as a monster or to die as a good man. Mm-hmm. And Ruffalo, who literally seconds ago is like, oh, he's delusional, suddenly is like stands up is like, Teddy? But Leo doesn't turn around. Hmm. Leo keeps walking. And there's an interpretive element to this ending. And it's really interesting because I think it can be read both ways. There's an interpretive element to this ending that basically says, okay, you can read this as A, he is delusional. Right. And this is just a moment of lucidity that sort of fits in with the rest of everything else. Or is he no longer delusional? And what he said to Ruffalo on the steps was so that he would be taken away and put out of his misery 
rather than, you know, whether he regressed or not. Like, can I live with this or am I going to, you know, just right, allow? Right. And that's that's the interpretive end. Either he slid back into his delusion or he is purposefully walk. Because if you'll notice, he's walking forward with the orderlies, mm-hmm. but they don't like they didn't summon him or anything. They just appeared and then he started walking away with them. And and so I'm of the camp at the moment that he is making a choice to go and be like, I, I end this like if I, if I'm going to be sane, I can't continue like this. And so I, 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 I wanna, think I, that's, I, I think there's more plausibility to that than the interpretive end you offered for black Swan or that you found for black Swan. Um, sure. Of course. Yeah. No, no. But, but what uh, I already think this is a pretty heavy movie in a kind of maybe uh, overly harrowing fashion. Yes. It's just, it's just, brutal but but the knowledge of if if that's a lucid edward right is this what's his real name mm. his real name is andrew latus okay edward if daniels that, is his, okay, yep, his moniker pseudonym. Uh, if if that's a lucid andrew that feels like an even more dire end to me it does not feel like a yeah, hopeful yeah. end whatsoever, yeah. you know? So in, no, in other oh, words, in other words, yeah. either way you read it, I wasn't necessarily thinking that concretely or consciously, but hearing you position it like, well, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's even, it's even more tragic. And I think that's the, and I think that's the thing that, um, when I was really sort of wrapping my head around this film and the ways in which we ourselves as people, um, and, and, you know, the, 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 these films are tied into the leftovers. We're making our way through the leftover series and, and these films, you know, are in dialogue with whatever, just as you and I are in dialogue with each other. So the ways in which characters in the leftovers are layer upon layer, they are telling themselves stories to, to attach to that, that sort of give their, their life meaning, um, and then also they are uh, so they are hiding secrets and there are things that are within them that they are not aware of. So there are, uh, you know, the, the ways in which we try to force ourselves to cope with the realities we cannot face that line from the intake form, just fantastical narratives that preclude facing the truth of his actions, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw you. Uh, I was, I was going to hold while you, unwound where you were going but i want to throw in here because it's it's an added layer to to what you're after because i wrote down kingsley's uh some of his lines too and where you were identifying where he says you created a new narrative he says you buy into conspiracies so any facts we tell you are refuted and he ends man like this drumbeat of ourselves knowing ourselves and how we identify he says you do anything not to be latest. No. Yes. And latest yes. and latest is what latest is his true self. Like if we're, yes. if we're using this yes, metaphor in this moment, it's mm-hmm. you've created a false self that you are pledging allegiance to rather forcefully. We're trying to help you rediscover your true self. And he says, you do anything to not be that. And I think, yes, right. That's it. Like that's, that's yes. the, black swan adopt a role persona that's uh we yeah absolutely we mm-hmm. know that's uh, uh, 
you know, ourselves knowing ourselves, like, like, you know, I think a lot about, you said, I think it was on black Swan where you talked about, uh, encounters like real life engagement you have with some folks of, of in conversation and, and this notion of that's not you. Yes. And that's not you. Right, right, right. And I think what's fascinating, I think what's fascinating and scary about that is like how easy it is to begin to put on those layers. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, takeaway for the moment is simply that extra level of depth of, of the sort of God character in this film is Kingsley, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I've yes. adopted this means to your health and sanity and wellness. Mm-hmm. Why do you keep doing anything you can to not adopt this? Um, yeah. And I do think that's a because, really powerful thing. Yeah. Because the, the, the part of Kingsley's, uh, part of that character's premise is he wants Andrew Latus to go. That's Leo's character. He wants Andrew Latus to go through this delusion for one very specific purpose so that he can see how impossible it is. He wants him to play the delusion out so that he can recognize that the delusion is merely that, that it is a delusion. So things like when he picks up the gun. He's like, this is my gun, and I know this is my gun. And he said, well, then blast away. Mm-hmm. And and so then in a really yeah, uh, a effective – yeah. yeah, absolutely. He he blasts Ben Kingsley and sees, like, blood spatter behind him, but Ben Kingsley's body, strangely, like, does not move. And so then he looks back at him, and he's standing there unharmed because the gun is just a toy gun, you know? And And I feel like what Kingsley wants to do is he wants to push – this delusion to the point of absurdity like he he wants to validate it in the efforts to undermine it that's what's that's what's wild about kingsley's um sort of prescriptive choice here is he's like we're going to let this play out so that it can be ultimately invalidated but it is in point of fact the the concept of the ways in which we will cling to to call what I'm describing delusions feels uh, pejorative, and I don't mean it to be. Um, we will cling to things that do not that are not the whole picture, that are not the true picture, that are not even our true selves, and we'll cling to them because it is easier than I really did not intend for Shutter Island to have so many uh, echoes back to to Black Swan, but it is easier than looking ourselves in the mirror. It's easier right. than. Um, staring at who we really are and what we really are to adopt the personas and to adopt, you know, whereas in Black Swan two weeks ago, there were characters who were being pushed into roles by certain things. This is Shutter Island is about somebody who has embraced a role that they like better than who they really are. And the people trying to push them towards health are pushing them out of that. They they are trying to again validate it to undermine it. It's like it's like agreeing with somebody so that they can hear how absurd it is, you know, and following something to its extreme conclusion so that you can hopefully sort of unpack and dissolve the logic of it. Well, and, and you, I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. You you mentioned a minute ago, uh, perhaps not loving the word in its practical use here of delusion. 
I'll throw at you and, and it's a Kingsley word in the film narrative. Like we, mm-hmm. but I want to, I want to create a, a different firmament here too, which is to say Kingsley also has a line here and he says, wounds create monsters and you are wounded Marshall. Mm. And uh, actually that's not Kingsley. That's Von Sydow, um to Leo. Yes. And um, I know it may seem like I just go look up, Richard Rohr quotes before we record to be able to deploy them. I don't, I, I actually just finished another book of his. And so some of this stuff is fresh. Um, wounds create monsters and let's, let's connect that to what you were just saying. Let's diminish some of the heightened language there. Wounds compel us to reach for narratives, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this Rohr quote I'm going to throw in here is he says, the gospel is woundedness healed, not woundedness avoided. Mm-hmm. And I'll be damned, Reed. Mm-hmm. We will do anything to avoid yes. our wounds. Yep. We'll yep. do you do anything not to be latest. We will do anything possible to avoid our wounds. And I'm and I don't even mean that in a criticizing finger wagon kind of way like no it is no. painful to stare those things in the face but if yes. we can't and if we can't move into and through those things and be in some form healed of them yeah we are going to not just become monsters which again is elevated language but we will perpetuate that in our relationships around us. This is going to seem like a random throw in here and maybe we don't spend, but a passing glance on it and that's okay, but it's just pinging for me. I I, I had this stupid because so much of social media is stupid, but directly stupid kind of back and forth with a peer recently um, about a couple of disparate issues that all create, that all led to roadblocks in terms of the yeah. conversation, it was really disheartening. And, and I came away with this feeling. I was like, why are you trying so hard? This person in, in, in the arguments we have in our head with, with others. Um, why are you trying so hard to keep people out? Why are you doing this? Mm. Like, mm. what mm. is the wound that you feel is that you are ignoring that you're not mm-hmm. dealing with that you're inflicting them on other people like you're keeping people from gospel healing because you've got this glaring wound that many can see and you call righteousness but is being used as that mirror to slice anyone who is not like you and in the meantime wounding your own damn testimony if we can use that language but does that make sense like it's so frustrating of course to sort of see that play out which sounds like i'm giving myself a pass across the board i'm not i'm just saying this is an experience i had where it was like i was wrestling through this feeling of of just you know it's like it's like you bring up oh god loves these this person deeply and and beautifully Oh, this, this right. person you're engaging with is like whack-a-mole. It's like, no, God loves these people. <laughs> you know, no, God, I think God really loves these people. Yes. Whack. Yes. Like, good, good Lord, man. Why are you working so hard yes. to keep people from God and love and, and, no, absolutely. and, and uh, healing? Yeah. 
random. And I think random, that's part of the. There, but. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I think that's part of the. I think that's part of the problem, and one of the things that comes to mind, and it comes to mind so much. I believe I've referenced it on the show before, but it comes to mind nearly every time the subject of wounds and identity come up. I think very specifically about the moment following, and this is a uh, biblical narrative, the moment when following Jesus' death and his resurrection, when he appeared to the disciples what did he use as the means by which Thomas could know it was him? He he used his wounds. Mm-hmm. He it, it, like his wounds were the way, and 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 it was re- it's remarkable to me. And I don't have uh you know the the means to unpack this fully the way I would probably like to, but it's remarkable to me that his resurrected self still had them, mm-hmm. still had mm-hmm. the scars, and I think there's a way in which we believe. That if we still hold scar tissue from things, if we, if we still have the place where it hurt, the, the crater, the hole mm-hmm. where something happened, if we still have that, then are we really healed? Are we really restored? Are we really whatever? And I think that's something that we then try to say, like, well, then we have to get to a place to where it was if, as if the wound never happened. And I don't know that that's really the goal. I don't know that that's really what we're after. I don't know that we're after reaching a place where it doesn't look like anything happened. I think ultimately we're trying to reach a place to where we can all acknowledge what happened right. and be at peace right. with it. That we can all acknowledge this is it. And maybe that's, you know, the, the, the two words are always tied together, forgiveness and forgetting, you know, forgive and forget. And it's like, well, well maybe, and I know this is a lofty statement, a lofty idea, but maybe it's maybe the point is not to forget. Maybe forgiveness sure. demands remembrance. Mm-hmm. Maybe forgiveness demands that we and, and forgiveness of self demands that we that we stare it in the face and say this is this is what happened and then find a place to where we can truly come to a sense of peace about it. And and that's hard bought. Don't 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 act like I think it's easy um, and certainly don't hear that in my language you know it's it's not easy it's never been easy as John Locke would say um, I knew it was coming I knew you were thinking it so I just had to say it but but, but maybe that's what real forgiveness is is not a can we all just forget about that and move on no can we all acknowledge the thing right Right. And recognize that that's not what we want to be, and that's not who we want to be, and that's not how we want to move forward. That we don't want to do that. You know, it does it does me no good to deny that I ever was selfish or angry or immature. It, it does me no good. It does me substantive good to recognize I had an issue with that. Right. I had a right. problem with right. that. And and I have reached a place with some tools to move past that. Yes. And And so in that... In that messaging that like Christ is there and his resurrected self still bears the wounds, we ourselves need to recognize that the the good and hopeful and true and right future that we move into, we may move into with scar tissue. Right. We may move into it with wounds and with and and bearing uh, 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 wounds that we inflicted and that were inflicted upon us, and that that may be ultimately 
the hope and the path forward into sanity. Now, I will not deny that Shutter Island does not appear to come to that conclusion, but I watched that and I, and I, and I, and I saw that film and the theme just arrested my imagination and it sent me spiraling down this place of, of thinking like, oh man, if we could only just come to that place where Leo is sitting, that that moment of lucidity, the most hopeful moment in this film to me is when he is sitting on that bed and saying, I did this thing mm-hmm. and I did mm-hmm. this because I, I did not get her help. And so I killed them. Even though that is a devastating revelation and a devastating confession, it is the most hopeful moment at the mo- in, of the movie to me because it is the moment when he is most sort of at ease. He's not violent about it. He's not railing about it. He's not yelling at anybody about it. He's speaking it and being it and sitting there and grieving it, and, and that is, is what it is. And ultimately, his character, either because of delusion or because of a, of a more tragic choice, decides he will not continue his life. That wrestling of live as a monster or die as a good man. Um, but I think we ourselves— as a people, as individuals, as a nation, um, we have to reach an understanding that forgiveness may demand that we speak the facts right. and the truth about what took place, about what we did, about what was done to us, and express the reality, the painful reality, that moving forward means we may always have to have a piece of that with us mm-hmm. because yeah. otherwise you know the, it, it's not it's not wounds healed it is wounds avoided otherwise you know right um so i really am resisting needling you about like well we can't forget our history read <laughs> but that's a bs piece of rhetoric that yeah. is best left to the internet trash can <laughs> Of course, um, of course. Yes. No, I, I, I uh, it, you, you have not really changed my feeling on the watching of this movie, but sure, I, sure. I def- no, I you know, I, yeah. I, I am grateful for, and and like I said when you asked, I mean, I, I do think those last thirty minutes are the strongest of the film. Like it's it's yeah, oh, yeah when actual yeah. sort yeah. of character work starts to happen and. You know, would that we could all reach so sober a moment as he has sitting there on yes. that, on right. that. Bed. Of course, of course. Um, no, of course. And I, this may seem self-flagellating, but a while back, this refrain was coming to me. This this sort of personal mantra of "stay brokenhearted," and like mm. that mm. that feels potentially unhealthy. I understand that, but on a certain level you, you know, it, it, it is in the closing of our heart that yeah. these accumulations of pathologies develop these layers of yes. self forgetting. Um, yeah. right. Right. You know, the, the, the open wound, cause it is interesting. You, you, something that pinged me a minute ago when you were talking about the Thomas story and, and the, the scars is is the reframing of wound and scar right like mm, mm, like yeah right i mm-hmm, think there's right. a decent case to be made that these are no longer wounds right like and, and right. that yes yes is a valuable takeaway for how we sort yes. of assess and 
you know, anyway, there's a lot of places that could be gone here, but I do think more or less yeah. the, 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 we, we've had our run of the island read. <laughs> we've we've circled it and yeah. uh, now it's time to catch the ferry back to the mainland please quickly and, uh, <laughs> i don't want to miss that <laughs> and uh and yes and i and, and i will say like yeah i uh, the, the the even critical assessment you know 68 percent on rotten tomatoes and and uh largely positive reviews on like imdb and stuff like that but i think uh, you know in general it was it was well received but there's but it's definitely heavy um and and it's definitely uh, like a gruesome and a, and a bit of a grim uh viewing experience i love i hope listeners do I know we haven't dove into a lot of the specifics of the film, like likes, dislikes, and fear. And but I love uh, when we get to have a, a conversation like this. Um, I hope you do too. I hope our listeners do. Um, I just I, I feel vitalized when you know we get to unpack these kind of things. And this is, uh, I think, Shutter Island uh, to that end. You know, can provide some opportunity for reflection. in that is it is it a little bit too long? Maybe, but is it exceptionally well made? Uh, I think I, I think it really is a very well crafted story. Um, Scorsese is a, a, just an incredible filmmaker. So, um, you want to go to the fog meter? You, you ready for it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So the fog meter is our very specific metric of fear and God. Uh, we measure every film we cover on that scale. I'll go first this time around with, uh, with fear, with the scares in the film. It is difficult to stomach the visualization that happens in the last 30 minutes of what has happened to his children and what takes place with his wife. There are some creepy moments like his journey through Ward C and like there's some, some Mm -hmm. general and more traditional frights to it. But on the basis of those last 30 minutes alone and how dreadful and horrific that is, I'm going to give the fear factor an easy eight on, on this uh, level on those playing field alone. Yeah. It's funny as I've sort of throughout this conversation been weighing, how to how to rank this stuff this particular film um i don't find it a very now i i, I leapt out of my seat when he shoots her at the end because I, I just wasn't remembering oh. that this happens and i was like oh god no yeah, man i did not remember yeah. that happening um i think it's a very i'm gonna rank it an eight not because the watching of the movie is very scary i think something i've thought about since watching this was our conversation on Dr. Sleep and hmm. the hmm. events in the f- the middle of that film with Jacob Tremblay's rather s- pretty graphic and troubling uh, murder. And, yeah. Yeah. and I think in assessing these things and why I would rank Shutter Island's scare factor so high is Dr. Sleep is pretty clear that that's not that that event, though tragic and terrible and, and pretty troubling to behold is not what the film is about. Um, Mm, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, by its placement and by its relative, you know, kind of blink and you miss it in terms of its relevance to the film. This movie is about this event, uh, very much so. And, and so the weight of it is, is, is much, much heavier because of that. Um, and is just, uh, it's, it's very harrowing to watch that last run. So, so yeah, that's a long winded way of saying an eight for the scare factor. Um, I'll I'll do the God factor here. I mean, I think that um, I'm going to give it a um, I'm going to give it a seven because you've convinced me it's there. Um, mm. And what is there is pretty substantive. Uh, so it does not feel like just just sort of 
patting you on the back to rank it a little higher than I might have otherwise. Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, I will say, I think I'm going to join you in your seven um, because better or worse, I think this is a film that is about its ending. So not only are the last 30 minutes sort of the most harrowing and, and the most compelling, but if that ending does not work for you, the film does not work for you. Like, I, I really feel like it's it's all sort of baked in there, even substance-wise. Um, and so for me, I gleam a lot from, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> gleamed a lot from that idea where um, I, again, just this time around, it just ignited my imagination uh, and, and prescience for our current times and for self-reflection and everything. So, uh, so landing at a, a seven- there for me as well um because again if that doesn't work for you i don't think anything else will but um definitely a lot to to latch on to if you if you're behind that so that means that we give shutter island directed by martin scorsese and starring leonardo dicaprio ben kingsley mark ruffalo and a host of others seven and a half out of ten on the fog meter um which is a pretty uh, that's that's yeah. a solid solid ranking, um, but I mean, would you? And I know you have complicated feelings about it. Would you recommend Shutter Island? No. Okay, that, that's uh, fair. I think. I again, it's a really weird hair to split. It's not a wasted viewing experience, but sure. to me, there's some tediousness about the plotting. Mm-hmm. that coupled with the sort of, again, I can be forgiving, kind of far-fetched nature of the narrative at work, coupled with yeah. the extremely harrowing nature of the end, just just kind of, you know, kind of formulates to a, eh, ah, no, I don't. I think there's better ways yeah. to spend my time and get similar stuff out of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, for myself, um, it would be a qualified recommendation. So I do recommend it, but, uh, I was even like kind of nervous, uh, because my wife wanted to watch it with me. She had seen it and she, you know, had enjoyed it the first time through and, and, um, understandably so she can sometimes feel a bit of sensitivity when things in films happen to, to children specifically. Um, but, uh, you know, was able to keep some, some distance and, and, uh, appreciate the film for what it was. So I do think it's qualified recommendation. Uh, the, I think your notes about the plot are reasonable and worth, you know, evaluating cause it is a big ask. Um, at the same time, yeah, it's a, it, the this Scorsese just knows what he's doing mm. when he's making a film. Yeah. And, um, and so to that end, I think that's why it's not a wasted viewing experience. Even if you walk away and ultimately go like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really care for that. Um, it's just Scorsese's just too good a filmmaker not to be captivating and compelling in, in a certain degree. So qualified recommendation for me. And that puts, uh, episode one of season two, phase two, if you will, of hashtag in the morning, uh, in the books. And, um, and so next week we are going to be continuing with this trek. We're going to be looking at, uh, a, a much lighter film, uh, not a comedy, but, uh, definitely not as harrowing as Shutter Island. We're going to be looking at the film by Kenneth Branagh called Dead Again, uh, from, I believe, 1991, Sir early 90s. Kenneth Branagh. Sir Kenneth Branagh. 
Don't forget. Um, and uh, so, yes, that is the film that we're going to be covering next week. Uh, Dead Again, directed by Sir Kenneth Branagh. And we are going to be, of course, covering episodes three and four of The Leftovers season two. So acquaint yourself with that material. Join us back here next week. Nathan, as always, thank you very much for having these conversations with me. Such a pleasure, uh, my friend. And listeners, thank you as well for tuning in and for listening. Uh, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week. Amen. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Riri is always right. He's always right. Riri. He's always right. He's always right. Hello. Hi, everybody.